a bad product, it, you can throw as much growth tactics uh, on it as you want, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the first step really always needs to be uh, achieving product market fit. Mm -hmm. And so you also in that phase, you, you look for very different KPIs. You know, you, you, you look at um, your customer comments, you look at uh, their feedback, their suggestions. Project A Podcast. So welcome to the Project A Podcast. Uh, I'm Florian Heinemann. I'm one of the founding partners uh, at Project A. And our today's guest is Aaron, Aaron Rosen. He has been with us now for... For six years now. Six years. So almost as long as the company exists. <laughs> and Aaron is uh, heading our growth initiative uh, as, as part of, of marketing, but not only part of marketing, because growth is obviously something that goes way beyond that. And uh, we want to discuss today what, what growth marketing is, how you can implement that in your company, and who would be better to talk about this than Aaron, um, who has a lot of experience in this. Let's do that, Flo. Yeah. Happy to be here. Yeah, so that that's cool. So. Let's probably start um, with some observations. Uh, I mean, how has the marketing landscape changed and why has growth marketing become um, um, something that one should probably consider even more than, than a few years ago? I mean, everybody knows about you know the famous stories about Airbnb and Facebook and also companies like Deliveroo, how they really benefited from growth marketing. So that would be a reason per se to, to really think about how, how you could implement that for, for your company. Um, but other you know observations in, in the area of marketing that we think you should consider is, um, I mean, with the, the increasing dominance of, of Google, Amazon and Facebook, Apple not so much in the marketing world, but uh, of GAFA in, in general, um, I think there is several things that you can deduct from that. I mean, one one thing that's that's quite obvious if if there's auction mechanisms or auction systems um, or underlying auction systems uh, controlling uh, customer access, and and these auction mechanisms drive the margin of the platforms up and the margins of the advertisers down, you have to somehow move outside of the platform economy. Um, so, and, and that uh, obviously speaks for, or is a strong argument to to uh, increase your CRM initiative. I mean, that's that's one um, uh, conclusion you can take from that. And the other is that you have to become a lot more creative when it comes to acquisition. Um, I think that that's the other argument. And and uh, growth can be both. It can be retention centric and it can be acquisition centric. So uh, let's probably talk about this. I mean, is uh, where do you see the main levers in, in growth marketing? So, so what kind of um, uh, things and factors are addressed by, by growth marketing and what are the levers? I think that um, typically in the last years in marketing, we have focused a lot on performance marketing. Mm -hmm. And so we see in our portfolio companies and in general, uh, very good performance marketing teams that are specialized for uh, the different channels like uh, SEA, display, uh, SEO affiliate, and mm -hmm. so on and so forth. And um, this can all be part of growth marketing, mm -hmm. but uh, growth is so much more than that be mm -hmm. because in, in growth, um, it is just generally about the uh, inflow and outflow of, of users into your product, meaning your your website, your app. Mm -hmm. And so um, we look at acquisition, um, so in, into these performance marketing channels. But <clears throat> as you said, also you need you need to be more creative mm -hmm. um, about the different channels. So you need to be open mm -hmm. uh, about which 
ways of uh, acquisition actually work best for your product specifically. Mm. Um, it's about activation, um, onboarding, retention, so CRM, uh, as w one of the big success factors, uh, how to create revenue, and um, also uh, all referral activity. So this, this actually goes way beyond acquisition it mm. goes beyond these uh, single channels that uh, of course if they are relevant for your business you you do need to specialize in and it also goes beyond the marketing department itself so very often we see that product is de deciding how a product is how the product is going to evolve it builds it mm. and then marketing gets told to uh, promote it and this is sort of the um, the order of things. But uh, with a growth team, uh, all of this happens in one team. So it is it is decided together um, how a product is going to evolve, and and uh, marketing, IT, product, and of course also um, BI uh, with insights on data uh, work together on uh, these specific challenges that that a company has and and how it wants to grow. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about the the approach there? I mean, how how do you? I mean, you've established such a team, and uh, mm -hmm. you have BI, you have product, you mm -hmm. have marketing, mm -hmm. um, you have, probably have a designer and, and somebody from from IT, so you can theoretically do everything. So so how do you do this? I mean, how, how do these people work? I mean, how does a, a growth approach look like typically? Yeah, so it's basically a cycle of four steps. So. First of all, you want to have a lot of data, mm -hmm. um, and it's totally data-driven, uh, the approach. So you look very deep into qualitative and also quantitative data that you have from um, all, all the different um, data sources about your product, about how customers use it, analytics, and also research and, and customer interviews. and. With this data, you build hypotheses on how you how you can improve the different aspects of uh, your product and your acquisition strategies, and from that you derive ideas that you can test, and then you test and you test rapidly and you test a lot because um, most of the things you test are going to fail, but some of them are really really going to work very well. And these are the ones uh, that you can then build on. And um, so everything that works, you implement. And then it's a constant cycle. And you do that again and again and again. Um, and you learn from the tests that fail. You know, it's, I think it's also very important to look at that and to mm -hmm. think, uh, think about also with the data you gather why these tests didn't work. Um, so you need, to, you need to be very smart uh, about coming up with creative ideas what um, your your users um, may want, you know, based on the data you see, um, and continuously uh, test the things that could could, uh, if they worked well, have uh, a massive impact. Mm -hmm. Um, may I compliment? I mean, one thing that you typically see when you have these hypotheses is, or that we experience at least, you should focus on one KPI, whether it's the conversion rate, mm -hmm. the CLV, 
uh, of the customer um, or another typical KPI is the referral rate yeah, where you basically see how many users are basically referring other users and how you can um, accelerate on that. I mean, you've seen Facebook has done a great job in, in this in the beginning or, or Zing, for example, has also been very famous. Um, so, uh, and a lot of people speak, uh, call that hacks when you, when you, when you see that and mm -hmm. you, you prefer, or we also here at Project A prefer not so much growth hacking, but we prefer growth marketing um, mm -hmm. as, as a term. I mean, it's just terminology, so it doesn't matter so much, but could we, could you still elucidate or discuss a little bit about what's the difference between growth hacking and growth marketing? Is there a difference? Why do we prefer growth marketing? Would be, I think, great to understand a little bit of that. Yeah, I, I think these these single things, and there are so many examples known, such as the this auto signature that Hotmail had in the beginning, getting new users in, or Airbnb pushing their ads on uh, Craigslist. These kind of things, you know, the, those are growth hacks. But when people talk about someone being a growth hacker or doing growth hacking, it gives the impression that basically this job is about these few ideas that work and basically just going around looking for those uh, examples and implementing those for your company. And this is not what actually makes, creates constant and um, successful continuous growth in a company. But what it's about is this approach mm -hmm. that I, I just uh, detailed how, how you're going to work. And so I think that when you talk about growth hacking, it, uh, it gives more importance on these single things that are being uh, implemented rather than this constant approach. And I mean, growth is, is generally a, a mindset, you know, that, that ideally the whole company has starting, starting with the founder, the CEO, that you uh, really just look at um, how, uh, how can we on every different uh, aspect of the customer journey um, increase the conversion rate and really create these these growth loops at, at every step um, in order to get uh, users in in order to activate them in order to get get them to refer and um, the way to get there is through constant experiments um, and not through implementing the three or four wonders that you have read about that that have made uh, Facebook successful or mm. something like that. And I think that's that's a really key point that we're rather talking about a system or pro like a mindset mm -hmm. that translates into a system or systematic process, uh, just like you know performance marketing activities have, have traditionally been very process focused and, and not so about not so much about singular mm -hmm. big events. I mean, mm -hmm. if you hit the singular big event, that's that's great, but it's more mm -hmm. about doing a couple of tests per week or a couple of mm -hmm. tests per month. And and you yeah. will hit those things, mm -hmm. but. Um, you will only hit those regularly if you test even more mm -hmm. and you really need to to test a lot and uh, this accumulation of um, a, a lot of individual things that each give you like a few percent more in conversion rate are really gonna change everything in the long run mm -hmm. could could you talk about like, like which kind of companies need a growth team. I mean, when mm -hmm. does it make sense? I mean, we are in a startup world. We often mm -hmm. uh, invest early. Uh -huh. We sometimes invest in companies that uh, don't have a product market fit yet. Sometimes they never uh, <laughs> find it, but we obviously hope they, they will. And, and can you talk a little bit about what, what kind of company, where does it make sense uh, to, to and, and when uh, to, to mm -hmm. like follow these initiatives? Mm -hmm. Well, basically every company that wants to grow uh, should think about uh, having having a growth team and having that approach but uh, 
yes, it is. It is a, a very good question to think about. Okay, when when do which activities uh, actually make sense? And you mentioned product market fit. So I think the first step of a business is needs to be to find product market fit and to really make sure that you see those signals that people do want your product that that your product does grow organically that there is like an or organic uh, referral happening um, that there's interest and only when this is given it makes sense to to look at you know what you can do to acquire more users and and so on and so forth um, because like uh, a bad product, you can throw as much growth tactics uh, on it as you want, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the first step really always needs to be uh, achieving product market fit. Mm -hmm. And so you also, in that phase, you, you look for very different KPIs, you know, you, you, you look at um, your customer comments, you look at uh, their feedback, their suggestions. Potentially um, in a promoter score could be something. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So. The, the NPS uh, will, and especially the comments that come with it, will, will inform you uh, about what, what users want, what they need, and how satisfied they are with uh, the product you're giving them. And then when, when you are in the region that, that you have achieved product market fit, you also need to make sure that your unit economics work and that you're actually not losing more money with every new user uh, that you gain because then if you do very successful growth initiatives you're gonna burn the money that you have very fast and then this can also quickly lead to failure so i think then it is important to to work out which acquisition strategies um actually make sense for you um, in in terms of also how much they cost uh, what clv you have uh, for for every single user and customer and uh, when when you there come to a point that this makes sense then this can be scaled of course during the whole time you can you can uh, already work on improving conversion rates on on every step of the funnel but i wouldn't throw all my energy into acquiring users as long as i know that that this basically uh, just increases the loss that my company makes um and I think it's also very important to think about what what kind of tests you do at which stage of the company um, because of course with uh, like a facebook with their size they can make a tiny adjustment and test that with uh, a few percent of their users and um, after a few hours they will have uh, statistically uh, relevant uh, and significant results and, and then they, they can move on. But if you're just starting out and you, you're, your testing idea is to move a button around on a page, you're probably, you will have to wait weeks uh, un until you have any significant result there, if ever. And so I think in the beginning, it's not about making tiny adjustments that may give you like a 2% increase or something like that. But there you make the really big strategic decisions um, of uh, how how you're gonna approach acquisition in general, or what the USP of your product is, uh, and things like that. And so um, you you really need to work on points that potentially will like increase your conversion rate by 200% or something like that. And this is when you're also gonna see results in the beginning. And also in when you start you 
you need to make sure that you have uh, a setup that you start collecting data from day one, um, that you are tracking things correctly, but in the very beginning, you're not going to have enough data to really work with that. And so you need to rely a lot on uh, talking to customers, talking to potential customers, and uh, just listening to them and uh, implementing what you derive from that, um, what might help you with your product. And then later, when, uh, when you gather more data, because you have, you have set that um, foundation uh, in the beginning, then you can also uh, work well with the data. Uh, in, in order to come up with more hypotheses. One point that, that relates to that is um, I mean, when you talk about statistical significance and things like that, mm-hmm. and a lot of data that you need, is growth marketing mainly a B2C kind of initiative or approach, or can it also be used in B2B? What's, what's your experience there? I mean, do we, I mean we, we have 50% of portfolio companies mm-hmm. by now are probably B2B. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, and, and does it help there as well? This is just as relevant for B2B as it is for B2C. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you look at different things typically uh, in, in those two, depending, depending on what the business is like, uh, because in B, B2B it is more often more about sales also and not only marketing. Uh, but there it is just as important, you know, to see marketing and sales as, as an integrated function of, of your company uh, that also needs to be optimized at, at, um, at every step um, and, and where, where you can work on uh, improving the conversion rates. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's summarize. It's like which companies should use growth marketing um, or should at least think about using it. It's B2B, B2C, no matter what. And it's usually companies where there's at least a certain product market fit there. I mean, obviously, growth marketing can help you to improve the conversion rate so that the unit economics make sense, yeah, but really pushing uh, a lot on growth marketing only makes sense if you found product market fit. Uh, shitty product doesn't work with growth marketing. <laughs> marketing. Yeah. Um, and the shitty product never works. It shouldn't. That, that's completely okay. And if you have a certain... Um, if you have a certain understanding of a unit economics and of the KPIs that are relevant, and if you have a certain like amount of traffic, etc., coming in uh, in a sensible kind of way, um, because that makes testing ideas obviously a lot lot easier. Um, so yeah, that that's I think very very helpful. Um, you know, there's frameworks how to structure. Uh, growth initiatives a little bit, so mm-hmm. which always helps you know to structure your own work. Can, can which framework do you prefer? Can you can you give an example of what kind of initiatives fall in this framework and yes. what kind of structure? Yes, yeah. so um, I'm I'm a big fan of what I call the growth engine, mm-hmm. um, which which is um, you might might have heard of the R model A A R R R, which stands for acquisition, activation, retention, revenue, and referral. So this is basically a, you you can see that as a circle of a, as a customer life cycle if you want uh, that starts with acquisition and ends with referral, and you obviously you have a conversion rate at, at every one of those steps and. I would, as a hypothetical goal, always look at, okay, I want to have 100% conversion rate, ideally, in every one of those steps. And if you ever got there, you could basically lean back 
and watch your growth engine do the work for you because if you have found those growth loops on, on every single one of those stages, uh, then simply every customer or like every user that comes to your app, comes to your website, um, will um, become a paying customer, will constantly come back and will refer new uh, users and new customers. Mm -hmm. And this should always be the goal. And um, you, you don't have to work on this in that order, but uh, I think it's important to track uh, the conversion rates constantly at every different uh, one of those steps. And you will very easily then also notice which of those areas is the one that really needs the most work because it has uh, the lowest conversion rate. And so so, so the, the key task is really to find out which is kind of the maximum natural conversion rate that you can get from each step mm -hmm. to, to the next. Yeah. Because I, I guess 100% conversion rate is not realistic. <laughs> even, even in offline marketing with, with, with people standing behind you with guns, it's probably not realistic. But uh, yeah, like trying to, f trying to basically find out what's kind of a, the, a realistic goal uh, if you do a very good job in every funnel step. That, that, that's key. And also trying to find out where are you still fairly low in the natural kind mm -hmm. of curve, yeah, because as, as always, uh, the higher you get to the to the max, it will be harder to achieve marginal improvements. Yeah, and and, and exactly. for that, I guess the BI person, as part of the growth team, uh, should uh, should uh, you know uh, uh, should do his you job or her job and and try to find that out where where you should focus on. Yeah, yeah, you you need to be able to have a clear view of these conversion rates at all time. And yeah, as you said, if you see that you already have a 70% uh, activation rate, but you have 5% referral rate as an example, then obviously you're going to uh, gain more by focusing on referral first, mm -hmm. um, because then this is, this is where there would be a lot to win. And uh, then this is where I would start mm -hmm. you know, before looking at even more increasing activation rate, for example. But I think that's so, a very, very interesting point that you said, despite growth marketing being a very broad concept per se, it's very important that at any given point in time, you have to focus the efforts to very specific steps in the conversion rate. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that's a difficult, the difficulty often for, for teams that they need to constantly refocus themselves to different parts of this our uh, model uh -huh. yeah, so yeah. that that you are basically able um, uh, to do that by yourself yeah. or being guided by the BI person. Yeah, yeah. well that, that also depends on the company and how you structure it mm -hmm. um, because you might you might have one or start with one growth team that is basically jumping to uh, the, these different steps and, and where they can help the most but you can also come to a point where every one of those steps has a dedicated team. Mm -hmm. And then uh, it's just part of your growth team. You have like the people responsible for activation, the people responsible for referral, and so on that constantly work on this. Mm -hmm. And um, this this is, is where you, you should be heading for mm -hmm. going forward. Um, but yeah, as I start, we, we, you, uh, as, as I said, you start with the lowest hanging fruit, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so if we... Uh, look at the those different steps and what what things are that that can be done there so if we start with acquisition for example as i said the the typical performance channels um, will will be a part of that mm -hmm. but in the beginning you also don't know actually which channels are 
the ones that are going to be really relevant for your business. And so I, I would not hire uh, an SEA specialist if I don't even know if SEA is going to be the, the relevant thing for my business. But first, you, you just see that very open and you test many different ways to uh, acquire users and um, come up with hypotheses why certain things might work or might not work and then um, then you derive from that and, and you find out what works. So uh, at our portfolio company Keats for example that have a, a business model that is that is not so typical because their customers are actually customers of delivery uh, food delivery platforms like Deliveroo, Uber Eats and so on. Um, so their marketing needs to get the existing users of those delivery platforms to choose their brands. And uh, there we're, we're testing a lot of different approaches and uh, seeing, for example, that uh, when, we, when we do out of home activities, uh, that there we typically have lower CPOs than uh, with online activities or uh, when it comes to, to um, performance marketing on Facebook, Instagram, um, that that we see much better results uh, sponsoring influencer uh, postings uh, that feature the the different food that uh, the Keats brands offer rather than uh, sponsoring our own content things like that and so you you just test a lot and also you you need to look beyond the typical channels and just be creative uh, about what which tactics made might actually work for for acquiring users home day for example from our portfolio um, their their big uh, acquisition um, tactic, if you want, is uh, evaluation for uh, real estate, so that you just enter the details of uh, your home in order to get an evaluation of, of its value, uh, and this is how, how they generate leads, and uh, then in turn, if you're interested in knowing the valuation of your home, there's a chance you might also be interested in selling it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, home day is a digital real estate broker, basically, yeah, and, and mm -hmm. uh, that's why, why that makes sense sense for them. You 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 mentioned, and I think that's a very interesting, a very interesting aspect. You mentioned that if you have a traditional or if you have a performance marketing team already, or if, if SEA is a relevant channel for you or Facebook or whatever, then you have you might have dedicated specialists there. Mm -hmm. So so what is the relationship between a growth marketing team and channel specialists as you will find them in most performance marketing teams probably here in berlin and also uh, elsewhere mm -hmm. does growth uh, growth team replace a performance marketing team is a performance marketing team part of that are there parallel structures mm -hmm. can you can you talk a little bit about this because i think that's uh, very that i often get asked by by cmos it's like should i structure mm -hmm. everything around growth or yeah. should i still have channel spe specialists how, how do we have a view there or do we have an opinion yeah i i think there's not the the one perfect setup mm -hmm. that um, I need to install in every single company, uh, but there are different ways. But one thing is for sure, um, if you do know of uh, specific performance marketing channels that work for you, you will need and or should keep uh, the specialists for those channels. Mm -hmm. So th this is something that I would never replace by a general growth marketing person. Um, because if, if SEA is a relevant channel for you, 
you really need to focus on that um, and you you need people uh, who are absolute absolute cracks in in these areas how this is structured within your organization i think there are two ways to do it and i i don't see a right or wrong there so you could have uh, a performance marketing team that is actually separate uh, from from a growth team um, and the growth team just works on the things uh, that are relevant besides those performance marketing channels that are, that are being done or these performance specialists could also be part of a growth team um, and and then work work on their uh, specialties within that mm -hmm. you know and then you would like either have a cmo you would have a vp growth um, or you would have both mm -hmm. okay makes sense and i think that all depends also on the people you probably have in in your organization Uh, mm -hmm. um, and what you could also have, and I think that's that's something you also you, you sometimes see if if you see a certain approach working on a regular basis that you find through a growth team, you might also put dedicated specialists on that, mm -hmm. running mm -hmm. that approach on a regular basis. That can be a channel, but that can also be a certain approach of generating and distributing content through various channels. Uh, so I think uh, like um, you know defining or viewing at the specialist kind of role in a broader sense probably makes sense and saying, okay, if the growth team comes up with a certain growth mechanism, just put dedicated people in a dedicated process and dedicated systems behind it. Uh, that then, so the, the both kind of, or both approaches kind of work uh, collaborative, collaboratively with each other. And I think that that's a very important thing to, to point out. Um, exactly. Okay. So so and, and but if you say like a CMO could is, is that the person to run both or VP growth or what's our experience there also? Do, do does the founding team need to be involved there? I mean, what's what's our view there? How can yeah. you get this going? Mm -hmm. Also, given the cross cross functional nature that you described earlier. Yeah, and as as I said, um, growth is something that includes marketing, that includes product, that includes BI that includes IT and design. And so I don't think that a CMO alone um, should be the person saying, okay, I'm, I'm now going to do growth. Um, but this is something that needs to come uh, from, from the founder or from the CEO um, so, so that you ensure that there is a structure of a growth team that really covers all those areas. And that doesn't mean that from one day to the other, you need to completely change the structure of your company and, and say, okay, now we don't have a product team anymore. We don't have a marketing team anymore. No, you can start slowly and you can just say, uh, for example, I, I said earlier, imagine that uh, your referral rate is very low. Then you just say, okay, um, I'm going to create a cross-functional team that's going to work on referral. And so you have a marketer in there, you have a product person in there, and a, a, a data engineer in there, a BI specialist. Um, and these people will then work on, on this one project. And uh, you, sh you should give them some time um, in, in order to learn a lot, in order to, to see what works. And you should also give them a lot of autonomy as uh, as a founder or as a CMO, because what's really important then in such a project is is speed, and is the ability that you can test a lot um, and constantly test. And so, if 
you have someone who's constantly blocking because uh, a certain color is not part of the CI um, or because you have to wait for the next board meeting to make the strategic decision and so on, then, then you can really basically kill this before it, it even gets started. And so this team uh, that works on, on this special project, I think it's also important that they um, really communicate a lot to the whole company, that they share the experiments that they are doing and the learnings in order to create a growth mindset in the whole company and so for everyone to realize also that um, how many things you can test and also typically if you ask people to guess the result of tests they will be wrong very mm -hmm. often and so this also gets people to realize that a testing culture is so important because your intuition just doesn't always work and very often uh, you assume the complete opposite and so um, if if this if you start with such a team and they constantly share this um, then you can move on and you you can create more teams uh, around this growth idea and and have uh, have a cross cross-functional teams uh, and they can work on on different areas and so then you know you you have to be flexible about how how this gets structured in the end but i think uh, to to get started um, it is really totally fine to just pick one uh, topic you know be it like the checkout and uh, improving that and the conversion rate there um, and just to show okay we can have cross-functional teams and to give them the chance to prove themselves um, and to see with uh, what speed they can they can come up with improvements mm -hmm. and i think that's that's a very interesting point because i think the uh, what you what you can definitely say is if you work in a very structured kind of performance marketing setting it's easier for individuals to deliver a certain performance yeah but you're definitely reaching probably a certain maximum performance at a, within that channel uh, but I think if, if you have a very able and skilled growth team that learns how to work together in a very productive way the outcome can be a lot better or a lot more impactful um, but obviously the the demand uh, on, on the individuals doing this are higher than working in a kind of structured and rather limited uh, channel kind of environment and I think that's what what you need to be very sensitive to as a, as a founder, as a CMO, as a VP growth, uh, how uh, advanced are we as an organization? Are we able to deliver very good results? And that's quite, quite interesting. If you talk to very good and experienced growth marketers, I'll say, if you have the right people in place and they found out how to work together in a productive way, the outcome can be amazing. But if, you, uh, if, if it, that's not the case, the outcome can be real crap. So I think the variance in performance or in, in output in, in growth teams is a lot higher than, than you would see that in a typical performance marketing team to, to, the, to the great but also to, 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 the, uh, to, to the worse obviously. So can, can you like, give us some more concrete examples of, you know, because people say, oh, okay, that's I've got the idea but it's still quite abstract, Aaron. Mm -hmm. I need more ideas, more inspiration on an exa concrete examples of how you know, these growth initiatives can, can look like. Can, mm -hmm. you, can mm -hmm. you just give us some more examples from the portfolio, outside the portfolio, so mm -hmm. that people get a better idea of what we're talking about here in real yeah. life? So let's let's look at the activation stage for example you know so this is about increasing the conversion rate for registration and it's about in getting people to 
to an aha moment mm -hmm. uh, that they really see the value of your product really quickly, ideally within 60 seconds or so of um, uh, starting starting to sign up and uh, designing this, um, for example, to have a B2B uh, case from our portfolio, Clara, which uh, is a communication tool in the in the medical sphere between patients, hospital, doctors, and so on. Um, they they have tested a lot about uh, improving their uh, lead conversion rate, and so they have they have seen that uh, when they take out the step of confirming a time for a demo of their tool, but uh, really putting a lead directly onto a calendar view so that they can immediately choose um, a time for, for having that demo call, uh, that they actually, they got to a 60% conversion rate of from lead to demo. So they replaced like the that. typical call back, call me back button mm -hmm. with uh, you, you, you can, you know, you are, you are in the lead, you are in the uh, driver's seat as a, as a customer, as and a lead. You, you immediately you can directly choose, book, um, the, have the, the meeting and, and yeah. then uh, it, it also takes place, mm -hmm. you know, because you don't have to first reach people and, and so on. So you just uh, eliminate these steps mm -hmm. uh, and therefore increase your conversion rate. Or like speaking of this aha moment, uh, I, I uh, think is a great example for, um, for example, you know, Ofo, these um, bike shares that, that we had in, in Berlin and other cities, they actually set up their app um, and the registration in a way that when you downloaded the app, you could immediately rent a bike. Uh, and and ride it and only for the second ride you actually needed to register and uh, give your credit card details and so on so i think this is also a great and um, not so in intuitive idea um, to first let people have the experience uh, because obviously then the the likelihood of uh, them seeing the value of your product and having the confidence in, in your product that they're going to do all these annoying steps of like confirming the phone number, uh, the email address, putting in a code, uh, sharing credit card details and so on. So that, that this is, this is more likely that they will do that. Um, looking at the retention stage, for example, we, um, we, we can, we can stay in the bike sharing, business uh, there's there's mobike mm -hmm. uh, that i believe in in germany at least have have basically killed ofo and uh, the others and their their strategy is that they lock people in with a subscription mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. i think that is also then a great retention strategy mm -hmm. because if if you see that um, for the price of just a few rides per month you can actually get unlimited rides mm -hmm. um, many people will be will be interested in doing that and and once they do that you really got people locked in and they are not um, they're not going to be very open to using the competition if if they already do um, pay f uh, for for your service with uh, with a low fee and i see that they are also testing a lot around that with like different prices for different users and also slowly increasing the price for the people that uh, that do already have a subscription. So uh, in these areas, there's there's a lot to test uh, and a lot to do. And 
I think Amazon Prime is. Well, let me just uh, also yes. comment on the mobile example, and, and yeah. to my information at least, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think it makes sense is that the spending of a customer on mobile actually with a subscription now is higher than it used to be before. Yeah? So booking individual rides, the average spending per customer per year or per month was lower mm-hmm. than now with the subscription mm-hmm. uh, model. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And th- that's what you want, obviously, so that your share of wallet with the overall customer increases. And yet you can especially do that if you have a f- virtual product like Spotify, for example. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, or if you have an uh, co- uh, if a product, if you have a product like Mobike, where the capacity of the where you have an overcapacity, mm-hmm. uh, so you can. Uh, I mean, a lot of the bikes are, are standing around a lot of the time. So, so and if you can make, I don't know. I think it's eight euros or ten euros a subscription. So you make Something 120 like euros per customer per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a pretty decent uh, value per customer. Um, and if you only are able to get 60. But people have to pay individual rides. Uh, despite per ride you make less money, I think the share of wallet argument is, is probably stronger. And the similar argument you'll see with Spotify, for example. But now mm-hmm. I didn't want to, you know, stop you <laughs> from the Prime. Uh, explain going a little more into Prime, which is probably the the mother of all yeah, growth the, hacks. The prime example of yeah. uh, creating retention, I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Um, so I mean, of course, there is email marketing, app marketing, and, and so on, that, that is always an, an important part of the strategy. Um, but just also looking at designing your product in a way um, that it creates retention and also that it creates retention across uh, with the Amazon case verticals that you offer um, is, is really genius. And um, if, you, if you look at what Prime offers, uh, you know, in, in terms of the benefits for uh, fast, uh, faster delivery, free delivery, and so on, but uh, also giving you access to, to their different products. And then um, you, you see the conversion rates that uh, Amazon has and, and the uh, a- uh, CLVs that they have with the prime customers, then you can, you can really see that this creates a massive login effect um, mm. for, for the customer. And so, it's actually, you can of course argue that this costs a lot of money. Um, and it's the same like with mobile, you can argue that you're basically capping uh, the, the maximum spend that a customer will typically do. But if the program is designed right, uh, then this is basically uh, the money that you don't need to spend on um, acquiring your existing customers again and again um, because they they have paid for using your service constantly yeah. and uh, we we see a lot of companies doing doing this successfully yeah. and you also see I mean the uh, also that trends also to, to to put that into numbers uh, to my knowledge or if I remember correctly the Amazon marketing cost as a percentage of revenue is something like 2.8 or 3.5 percent whereas an Otto or Zalando uh, are usually in the 10% range yeah? and, and that is basically quantifying this effect. I mean, not Prime only probably that has led to that, but uh, I think it's a great example. And Zalando Plus, which is like the, the Zalando 15 euro version um, of uh, Prime, uh, which also includes faster delivery and uh, um, returns are being collected um, at your home. Um, and it includes, I think, like some ex- exclusive offerings and, and, and deals that you that you get first. So, and and so for 15 euros, that has also 
to my knowledge and information increased significantly the repeat purchase rate of customers that are Zalando Plus uh, mm. part. So you don't need to produce Amazon Originals to create <laughs> um, more customer loyalty. Yeah, so that that's that's great. So let let let's talk uh, coming to to an end. Let's talk probably a little bit about what what kind of changes do we expect concerning growth in the future. I mean, what's what's the what do you kind of um, uh, changes in the importance or the role do do you expect? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. I think that in the US by now um, it is very established that growth is basically the the foundation of success of businesses and we see companies like Airbnb, Uber and and Facebook uh, that have worked with this model from day one and and that keep growing and that that are immensely successful with this. this was also a, a process in in the U.S. to uh, that more and more companies uh, saw the the relevance uh, of really focusing on growth, and in Germany and in Europe in in general, this this isn't the standard yet. Mm-hmm. And if you ask me, I think that that this is actually also a big part of the reason why uh, we don't see that many businesses in in Europe and in Germany that are taking off uh, as as those US based businesses that that I've just mentioned. And uh, you can you can, of course, copy a product like, you know, StudiVZ copying Facebook or Vimdu copying Airbnb, but just copying like a snapshot of a product and um, not not using the the approach that these businesses are using for constantly innovating, constantly growing is not going to lead you anywhere mm-hmm. as as we saw with the, the fate of these businesses, for mm-hmm. example. And so uh, I, I really think that we need to get more and more businesses in Europe to adapt this growth mindset and really to have every CEO and every founder um, embrace this um, be give give uh, create growth teams and give them uh, the the opportunity uh, to really create growth at at every stage of the company and I think that this um, will be a key ingredient for creating um, really huge and successful companies mm-hmm. uh, also in Europe that that continue growing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree with you. I mean, there's probably more more factors also, where where mm-hmm. we have um, you know the I guess the smaller home markets and, and you know less availability of capital. Also factors, but I, I would 100% agree with you that um, we need more companies embracing this to the fullest because it, that, that in, at least increases if you're successful increases the the likelihood or the chances to really become a mega hit. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously, the mega hits uh, produce majority of the returns in our industry so that that is is a fact I think you can fairly say that while not all companies that have a growth team uh, become unicorns um, basically all unicorns that we see have growth teams mm-hmm. yeah that's fair to say that's mm-hmm. probably the case so cool thanks a lot Aaron for for all your insights and all your ideas and also the practical uh, suggestions what, You're what very you can welcome. do and uh, if you have any questions or any remarks, uh, just send it to podcast at projecta.com. Uh, um, so uh, Aaron will try to answer anything that, that we get. 
One last remark, uh, we also will have the project in KnowledgeCon where more knowledge is going to be shared, not only Aaron's uh, great ideas, but lot, lots more uh, uh, in terms of product, in terms of IT, in terms of BI, in terms of marketing. Um, on the 27th of September in Berlin, the project in knowledge conference, you find more information on our website and you can apply for Wildcard. It's a free event. Uh, we'll, we unfortunately have less capacity than, than interest. But if you apply, um, um, we will check whether we can still get you in. And uh, we have doubled capacity compared to last year. So the, the chances have, have increased. And uh, hope to see you there. Thanks a lot. We'll see you there. Thank you.